All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck sticks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Thanks for being here. If you can if you can't tell, I'm in another hotel room. I've driven down from upstate New York. I am now in New York City. Woke up very early this morning to put on my new clothes to go do uh, Good Morning America to promote Glow. Did a very short segment. It's all, it's 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 very odd when you get up and go into that machine early in the day. It's the first time I've done GMA, but I've done uh, the Today Show before. But I wore my new sports jacket, my new shirt, and uh, the shoes that I bought with the suit I bought for the award show. Those of you who keep up should know these are these are the first times uh, I'm wearing this. First time I, I haven't bought a goddamn sports jacket in forever. But I figure I'm a grown-up. I should be able to have something to wear. So I got suited up, got in the car, got up there, was put into some holding cell. And then all of a sudden, you just here we go. I saw John Hamm and Ed Helms walking off this weird set of GMA where people are just seemingly haphazardly put around different stages. And I'm let out, and I sit down next to a, a blonde uh, lady who was very fit and uh, very focused. Uh, I, I don't, I, I'm not even sure I got her name. I'm not even sure I was introduced. I'd never met her before, but there I was sitting across from her and like uh, the, doing a five minute segment. It's just like bing, bang, boom. Here's a clip. What's up. They had me reflect on Anthony Bourdain for about 25 seconds. They asked me about my jacket and me buying clothes. Cause they read about it on the, uh, update that I send people every week for about 25 seconds. Talked a little bit about glow somehow got off track, talked about cocaine, which was, a uh, Caused a little bit of a, uh, you, you know, when you're on ABC and you're doing a Disney uh, outlet, they get very nervous about what's, a, I couldn't even say WTF to promote the podcast. And then I talked about my character on Glow doing Coke. And apparently there was a, a bit of a moment or two of panic in the control room as to whether or not we would have to shut down the show. I guess that's the world we live in. But uh, I made it my own. I didn't say I was doing it. I didn't promote it. I said it was in the past and it was a character thing. I guess I guess I did all the right stuff to uh, not have a, a uh, uh, we'll be right back card go up in the middle of um, Good Morning America. No technical problem. Color bars card had to be dropped. No commercials had to be run abruptly. It all went okay. So now I'm back in the room. I'm just tired, man. I'm just fucking tired. I feel like I'm always tired. Just like doing the jobs, doing the jobs. But uh, thankfully, got a full show today. Holly Hunter. Uh, I talked to Holly Hunter back in the uh, the new garage a few days ago. Just I think it was like three days ago. I talked to Holly. Uh, she is um, in the the uh, the Incredibles too. She is the voice of Mrs. Incredible. Uh, but before uh, Holly, we're gonna I'm gonna. I'm going to spend a little time with Amber Tamblin. Uh, she has a new novel out, Any Man. comes out June 26th. You can pre-order it now wherever you get books. I, I was also, uh, I did a section of her audio book. And, uh, and it was great to see her. But uh, before I get into that, I, I'd like to also say that I am in New York. And I don't know if I covered this before. It, it seems to be in the life of a Jewish person uh, that there will be many days where you walk around smelling like onions and fish. 
And uh, for some reason, lately, when I get to New York, I compulsively go to uh, Russ and Daughters. And uh, I didn't go to the cafe this time. I went to the actual store because for some reason, I've been on this no-carb diet with very little sugar. So there, it seems like there's very few things I can eat. But I don't know if I'm uh, if it's really working that well. I just inhaled an entire jar of cashews. Could that be antithetical to what I'm trying to do on a weight loss level? Perhaps. But for some reason, I immediately went over to Russ and Daughters and uh, got two fillets of Majus herring uh, and uh, just a mound of uh, pickled onions on top and put that, you know, they put that in a plastic container. And I got a few slices, four slices, about an inch of uh, beautifully sliced uh, smoked sturgeon just to travel back to the old country of my genetics, just to take a little journey through my genes back to Poland and Russia. So that happened, and uh, then, of course, uh, there's a problem with having interactions with people for, for hours, for hours, just uh, fish and onions. That's what's happening. I, think I, I even got a little bit of it still now. All right, so Amber Tamblin, it's been a little bit, but we've talked, she's been on the show before. We've talked uh, for an hour plus about, about poetry and other things. She's married to my dear friend Dave Cross. They have a child. Uh, we talk about that a little bit. We talk about her new book, Any Man, a bit. We talk about cultural momentum around uh, women's issues and stuff uh, like that. It's a good conversation. I'm glad she stopped by. It's always nice to see Amber. This is me and Amber Tamlin back in the new garage. How's the uh, baby? She's pretty fucking cute. Yeah. Um, she's just started to walk. She's doing. She's making a lot of eye contact uh-huh. while holding objects and then dropping them uh-huh. um, as if to say, "Yeah, what are you uh, gonna do pick, about it? Pick that up. <laughs> fucking pick that up. What are you gonna do, mom? Pick yeah. it up." And then yeah. you're like, "I'm not gonna tell her. I'll pick it up." Okay. Yeah, you pick it up. Yeah. How's uh, How's old Dave doing with a baby? He's amazing. He's, yeah. He's a, a quite an extraordinary dad. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. He's really. He's really really. A good dad. Dave Cross, dad. Yeah, Dave oh, Cross, dad. Oh, you did it. You did it. Yeah, and he's getting ready to go out on another um, tour. We're doing two tours together, actually. Um, I know, I saw that, yeah. Uh, it's going to uh, be wild. Where's he been running the material? Um, he's been all over the place. He was in Chicago. He was at... Um, Playing small places? I think like medium, mm-hmm. small, yeah, some, but mostly working on a lot of the, the material out yeah. at the knitting factory uh-huh. and places in Brooklyn and uh-huh. New York. Oh, good. Yeah. So the book, I, you know, I, I read the book, I read my part of the book. Yes. <laughs> and uh, it, it's, uh, it was like, it was heavy because I, I, I wanted to do it for you. I'm glad I did it. I think yeah. I, I, put, I put a lot of work into it. I can imagine. And when I said, you know, um, after Barry had passed away, and I, I, I said Barry uh, Crimmins. Yeah, and I said, um, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like I framed this around him, uh-huh. and then, and then, like of course, it struck me. And David's like, I actually think, as much as I love Barry, I think, I think Mark is a better choice. Like he can really do this <laughs> guy. Who oh. this guy is? <laughs> uh, oh, good. Well, I, I think that's good. Well, I'm glad. It is I a got, compliment. Yeah. I'm glad I got uh, Dave's vote of confidence. No, I, I had. A, I was very engaged with the material, and I thought it was uh, very intense. But I, I get a sense of the book and and the project of the audio book. It it because it's not poetry. I think people are used to reading poetry, but it is prose poetry to a degree. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, yeah. And I, I actually. I find that more 
to me, more interesting with novels, certainly as a writer, writer of fiction now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm not really tradition uh, interested in the traditional models of, um, of how fiction is written. And and for me, there's there's really not anything that I can do that doesn't have some form of poetry in it. Of course. And so for me, it was about changing the structures. Like a lot of the other characters are not written in the in the way that you know that yours is. Some are told through, you know. Just purely through their searches on yeah. the internet or through tweets right. or then there's some that are just like really long sort of beautiful pieces of prose right uh, but they're all very separate and very unique so what was the like the impetus because this is not long since your last book i mean you know i, th- no, I feel it's like not, you, you yeah. know the book of poems which i imagine was done over a period long period of time yeah that was um dark so, sparkler was took you know seven or eight years right. to to put together um but that was really like a an exorcism, like an existential um, metamorphosis, and this book took about three and a half years. Really? And, yeah, and I, I as a writer, I I sit and I think for really long periods of time. Um, I don't write incrementally. I uh-huh. sit and I think. I incubate, and then all of a sudden, I write everything in like four months, huh. very quickly. It's why I still have carpal tunnel in my left hand. I've had it for two years. Wow. Um, it comes and goes. I, I get it in my right hand sometimes too. I've, I have a lot of ailments with my arms. From, yeah, from, from all of just the, from writing the yeah. way you do, like yeah. so, like intensely writing. My for... acupuncturist would say I am too <laughs> curled into myself, which I think is a pretty oh, pretty accurate sure. representation. Just an armadillo kind yes. of like armor, you <laughs> yes. know. Stay away. That's exactly right. Right. Wow. I because I was under the impression that the book was a reaction to what's happening culturally. I mean, the timing yeah, no. of it. And I know you've <laughs> I been. I could have never foreseen this in a million years. Like, like you're you've been very engaged with with Me Too stuff and with your own story of uh, dealing with predators and weirdos and yeah men. Yeah. So I uh, I I thought that this was like in reaction to that, but this was kind of going on before. Oh yeah, this was this. I thought about this over. I mean, the the Me Too movement is still in its little baby infancy, uh-huh. and uh, it's it's about as old as Marlo, uh-huh. my daughter. Yeah. Um And this was three and a half years ago. But you know, I will say that this is. I should say what the book is about. The book is about um, a female serial rapist who attacks uh, a group of men. Uh, over the course of two years in the uh-huh. United States. And the book has many conversations at once. It is um, it is both, uh, you know, a conversation aiming to, I think, resensitize culture, mm-hmm. um, specifically rape culture. Um, but it is also, uh, its aim is to sort of show the stories of men who are also uh, fall prey to sexual violence and harassment and and even forms of intimidation, especially in the entertainment business. It's rampant, but it's not really talked about because women are at the forefront of it, and, and it's predominantly happening to women. And it's also because you never really meet this horrible, horrible woman, Maud, who does these things. You never meet her in the book, really. Um, it, it, I was able to, the writer in me was really able to let my imagination run away with um how people described her and what the media thinks of her and how CNN turns her into, um, you know, part animal, which is what is based on some of the, the some of the men who have described her in, in what they remember and what they don't remember. So it's also commentary on how we sort of mythologize women. And to me, I was really fascinated by and murderers and, and murderers. Yeah, all of it. Yeah, I was fascinated by um, the idea of making a female protagonist 
um, who didn't have consequences in the way that I feel that men often don't have the the same consequences that we do. Uh Um, They don't have to speak for them necessarily. And what would it be like to have someone who wasn't, it wasn't revenge based, it wasn't going after, you know, a John or a dad or an ex-boyfriend, but it was just purely psychopathic. It was purely for power and uh, for the enjoyment of harming people. Not not unlike most male predatory uh, rapists, killers. Which is not about the act of the right. of the sexual harm it's about the act of the power right so when you say resensitize what does that mean i think i you know i for the most part i think conversations surrounding sexual violence um i think that they are uh pe- frankly i think people are bored of talking about it they're bored of reading about it um they get people get upset for a momentary amount of time and then before you know it it's back to business as usual and right. things don't really change yeah um, and for me, I wanted to 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 uh, degender the conversation, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. I wanted to to really take that away and say, "Listen, this is a problem for everyone. This is a problem that affects all races, all genders, all peoples. It is systemic. It is endemic to our culture. And we, ha- if we're going to start having real." facilitated conversations about how to drastically revolutionarily change things, then we have to push buttons and we have to start creating art that changes the way we think about things. We can't, it's not enough just to tell the story. We have to open the mind of, of the country and of the world, frankly, we have to change. It's not, it's endemic in the culture, but it's also endemic in you know western civilization absolutely yeah. so like if you're going to track patriarchy right it's not just cultural it's yeah. the way shit is yeah and it's also you know the other the other conversations happening in the book that i think is most prominent and your character who you voice in it is really sort of one of the people that starts rallying against it is um you know the, the book is an indictment of journalism it's an indictment of our culture of social media and the way in which we um uh, perform care, uh, the care of survivors, the care of women's stories um, for right. short for short amounts of time, and then it's on to the next one. It's yeah. sort of this in this twenty four hour cycle, yeah. and we we honestly do more harm than we do good. Well, I mean, I don't know myself how... included. By the way, sure. I'm on Twitter. Like, I feel the same way when I am going. Is this helping? Am I helping? Yeah, I kind of pulled out of the Twitter. Like I, I you know, I do it promotionally. Yeah, David and, just did that too. And like I'll I occasionally I'll answer questions, but I don't engage with garbage and I don't I just don't do it. I never did Facebook but So wait a minute. You practice self care? A little. Yeah, I'm believe me, I'm I'm doing damage in other areas. <laughs> so Fair <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mix it up. Okay. You know what I mean? All right. No, but it's self care in the sense but I can't get off my phone in terms of news yeah. and in the same way we do kind of nullify and numb ourselves to, you, you know, it's just like, boom, it, you, you're literally just punching yourself in the face with information. Yeah. And it's very hard to, you know, I've, I've got a hard time dealing with um, not so much empathy, but like, you, you know, the weight of others' pain uh, in personal life. Yeah. So like to deal with it, like, you know, every day with news and then to be, you know, have your uh, ideological sensibilities and, and your sense of justice and everything else, you know, kind of you know, attacked every day. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how we stand up to that shit, but I, I think that taking the time to write a, a, a novel where, you know, you have to think about it in a completely different way 
you know, especially something that is as memorable as what this book represents. I mean, you know, it, it could reconfigure some synapses. Yeah, and I think it'll probably upset some people too. You know, I've, there's already been a couple things here and there of especially women saying like, you know, you're not helping anything by taking our pain and suddenly like trying to give it to men and 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 by flipping it, you're taking away from us. And I just fundamentally do not believe that. And I think if we're going to be talking about what this idea of equality means, yeah. and really getting past the point of telling telling stories, which is what the Me Too movement did so profoundly and beautifully and moving towards actionable change like what are we really going to do to change things so this doesn't happen so when my daughter grows up you know i don't have to hear about her going into a meeting where some guy's going to pull his dick out in front of her well i think scaring the shit out of men is working a little bit it is and it's also it's it's also i understand it's like it's drastic and it's scary and you know i i I've, I have said and I feel like m- men only like war when it's their kind of revolution. Uh-huh. And when it belongs to to others, then maybe it's a little like, whoa, 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 we should uh, slow down here and maybe have a rational conversation. But every time I, I come up against this and every time I talk to a man, most mostly liberal men too. Um, those fuckers. Uh, those fuckers. <laughs> about what they think the answer is. Uh-huh. You know, and I say, okay, fine. We're, we're, it's a witch hunt where we've gone too far. It's, we're in the backlash. Uh-huh. Blah, 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 blah. P- f- put your fucking coin word in here. Yeah. Um, you know, what's the answer? Well, I think. And they don't ever have an answer. They don't, they don't have one. Well, I think the answer, like, just from a personal reaction and thinking about my past and my behavior, and I, and I think that the, the simplest thing in, in terms of, what it's provoked me to do is just to be you know mindful of where what I'm doing is coming from. That's that's a lot. I no, mean, that's all of it. I, no, meaning I, that's a you have no idea how unique that is. And I think a lot of men are really um, uh, they push they push back against they that. resisted. Yeah, they resisted. Well, you know, it's just like, do I need to touch her shoulder? Is this flirting? Am I acting out? Am I being you know inappropriate? Yeah. Is this is this space? Not, you know, did, why am I saying that? The you whole know, thing, the whole, whole like excuse, the, too, about how uh, how now, like, no one's going to be able to flirt anymore. No one's going to know what to do in the bedroom. Like, all of those things are are performances. And they are they're deeply disturbing to me and because they're disguised as ways to stop the larger work that's being done. Uh-huh. Because they know that's not true. If you have an ounce of understanding, you can still go fucking have some chick put heels on and step on your balls. You can yeah. go do whatever. Kinky. Do I have to do that? Yes, you do. Uh, okay. Kinky, weird, amazing shit you want to do. Yeah. As long as there's one word involved and that's consensual. Right. It's like, it's not that hard. And if it takes you having to maybe use a few words right. from word, your right. mouth yeah. to ask or to figure out a way to say that, like, then that's, that's okay. what it is. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. All good. No, and and also the 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 I think the the conversation about uh you, you know the kind of um the the power struggle or the or, or the you know the misuse the abuse of power in work environments uh, no matter how small is is really the the I think it seems to be the heart of the cancer. Yeah, it is. It, uh, you you know like what people do at home and how that you, you know how things are misunderstood or not. 
you know, the, I mean, those are conversations that, you know, have to be between people, you, yeah. right? But like, like what really resonated with me and what really made me think a lot was that even if you're in, in a workspace for a month or for, you know, a couple of months or a week, that there is a dynamic there where, you know, it's not about the other thing. Yeah, yeah. So if you're Absolutely. if you're acting in a particularly inappropriate way in a workspace, what what is that about? Yeah, you know, really ask yourself about that, and then you go deeper with that, and then it's sort of like, what is it all about? You know, how do I really see women? Yeah, and then also if you're n- if you're not that person, right? Yeah. Why are you also not if you're seeing it happen to a woman speaking up? Right. That's the other problem is that right. we've got a world in which. Men have more allegiance to men's careers and livelihood than they do to women's um, physical safety. And that's really a problem, you know. And so they feel like, well, it's it's not my thing. I don't want to get in the middle of it. Or she could be exaggerating. And they always go to the things first that would mean that she's a liar and that she's not telling the truth. And that's one of the biggest problems that we face. Right. I think the fact that we are even having this conversation, Hmm. you know, you and I sitting here in your garage, like having this conversation is um, in and of itself the the manifestation of that change and and as painful as the last six or seven months have been for a lot of people and many people that I know, um, you know, I, I think that, that it's so important to realize that this is really where it begins, the questioning and the wondering. You're talking. Yeah. yeah. And you can't tr- you can't change things overnight, right? You can't just like you said, you can't um suddenly say everyone has to be different immediately, stop, go. This is a, a learning curve. And for men, this is generations upon generations since the beginning of time of behavior. And so it, it's incremental. And you just have to be diligent and persistent and um, and not waver. Yeah, right. And, and also it requires men like me, like you know, slightly you know, recovering assholes. <laughs> Recovering you know, assholes. You know, I love that, that. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, look. My I, husband's I, a little bit of a recovering asshole. He's still an asshole, but he's a recovering different asshole. Different kind of asshole, me yeah. and Dave. But yeah, yeah. He's a, he was sort of a cr- cranky, self-righteous asshole. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> Bing! <laughs> Accurate. Uh, yeah, you don't want to argue with Dave, do you? Yeah. <laughs> you should try to be in our household in the last <laughs> six months. Oh my God, he's stubborn, man. Yeah, he's really stubborn. Has, has the kid uh, uh, softened him? Oh, totally. Oh, I'd love to see that. Yeah, it's um, he s- sings to her and he says funny fucking things while he changes her diaper and makes her laugh and is really good at distracting her. Oh, um, and I just get frustrated and um. Oh, that's sweet to he's hear. Just, he's just an extraordinary dad. Great. How is how 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 having the kid changed you like uh, for the oh, better? I think um, I think I think having a kid has weaponized me in a lot of ways. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, in the sense of her future, her future, but also my past. You know, when I think about the shit that I tolerated before, mm. um, when I think about what I was what I am worth and and uh, and having known that as long as I've known that and that the ways in which I've let people stifle that and they really weren't you know I wasn't letting them I was I was letting myself be stifled you know you can't you can't blame other people for what's going on with you you can only sort of look at your own actions with that and so for me so much of it has been about um, just what I won't tolerate yeah it's, it's pretty it's pretty straightforward and it's really nice to be able to go Oh, I get it now. There's something 
for me in this experience that's so important um, that all this other bullshit, like you said, doesn't matter. And right. I, I'm, uh, I refuse to, to bend. I refuse to waver on it. I find that like so much of that uh, looking back on stuff and not wanting to, to, you know, seeing who you were, understanding who you were and realizing that you were vulnerable, insecure, not aware mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, maybe, uh, you, you know, you left yourself uh, uh, unintentionally or unconsciously vulnerable to, uh, to whatever. Uh, it, it's, it's, it, those are hard lessons to learn, but you know, you know, it's better than on some level, like just reacting early on and becoming a monster because of monsters. I completely agree. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like uh, some of it's just the natural evolution of sensitive people. Yeah. I, I, I completely agree. It still doesn't make it any easier, but no, of I course think... not. Yeah. And also to be aware for your kid, you yeah. know, to, to, to provide whatever, you know, missing self-esteem you had. For whatever fucking reason, I'm to speak for myself as well. Well, child actress, that's mine. <laughs> sure, sure, but like you know, why were you, you know, uh, you know, right? But but nonetheless, it's that uh, like there is there seems to be a way, I think, uh, to give children self esteem and sense of self, or at least provide the environment to do that. I'm not sure that I was, even though I was a, it was a finely funded environment, was not a great environment emotionally. Right. 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 Yeah. That that adds its own weight for sure. Yeah, because you, you, you think everything's good. Look, I I get what I need. I got clothes, and my you know I, we have a nice life, and my parents we have money and whatever, and I'm completely emotionally incapacitated. Wow. <laughs> but but that's what it happens, right? Were your parents together when you were little? Or did they divorce? No, they were there. They, they were, were there. just involved. Are they still married? Are they still no, no 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 no. They, they were just a little self involved. You know. Got it. Yeah. So you know, I had to kind of figure some stuff out on my own. Yeah. So what what made you get public about James Woods? Oh, uh, that's like one of those ridiculous. Um, well, I mean, I, that's a weird question. I mean, no, I I'm know glad you, you did, but like, it was just seemed to be like, was it just sitting there? Yeah, I, I okay. So Army Hammer and I did a movie together. He's a friend of mine. Yeah. We, we did a movie together in Spain years and years ago. He's been around that long. Yeah, it was like some small, uh-huh. some small movie. Yeah. Um, and uh, and somebody I know had retweeted this thing that he wrote, and it was just one of those things sitting on the couch. Yeah, clicked it, saw him say something to James Woods, who I did did not know. I knew very little about. I certainly didn't know that he was such a conservative, um, uh, talking piece, and also just a uh, overall prick. Yeah, like I didn't know any of that at all, and um. And I, so I saw him, you know, this argument that was going back and forth about him, you know, he didn't like Army's movie because it's about Army having, you know, a relationship with a younger man. And then Army called him out and said, um, what are you talking about? You date 17 year olds. And I did not, I did not also know that that was like a James Woods thing, that that was a thing he was known for. Um, And then a a memory uh, popped into my head and I was like, oh, wait a minute. I remember when he tried to pick me up at Mel's Diner when I was uh, like 17. Yeah, I was 17. Um, I remembered it because of many factors. And Uh I even like, I called my dad to double check. And he's like, oh, yeah, I remember when you came home and told me about that. And you knew it was James Woods. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yes. You know. He's memorable. He's memorable. You never forget that fucking face. No. You you never forget a predator like Uh that. And, uh, And so I just tweeted it. I think that's so indicative of our 
of the time we live in too. Yeah. You know, you just tweet it, but you forget you're living in a world where people are watching. Right. And and because I think, you know, because of the election of Donald Trump, because of so many factors, really people were like ready to pop off. They yeah. were ready. Uh, you could feel it boiling under the surface for women and a lot of men. You could feel this sense of like, this is not happening anymore and there's a riot is about to go on. And so it, it just turned into this huge thing. And uh, and I would have never gone further had he not like gone out of his way to give an interview to, you know, Variety or one of those things and call me a outright liar. Uh-huh. And I was like, I will fucking throw a brick through your life, motherfucker. Yeah? Did you? Yes. <laughs> I wrote a couple pieces, and it is the reason I have I'm a contributing writer for the New York Times was because I wrote a piece there, which was um, widely read, uh, called I'm Done with, with Not Being Believed. And it really was this idea of like, you know, uh, this 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 idea that you have to go out of your way to prove yourself on so many insane levels. Yeah. Um, it's, it's so unfair. Uh, and oftentimes, um, you know, women have to come with like a stack of papers of evidence for a small thing like that happening. And mm-hmm. that the, the first reaction is to always second guess, uh, the woman. Well, that's, but that's all part of the paradigm of, you know, the bitch is crazy. Yeah, that's right. Right. That's absolutely right. That's so. like, that's one of the, uh, the, it's it's on it's on the you know f- top five checklist of patriarchy. Oh, that bitch is lying. She's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's that's yeah. uh that's really true. And um, you know, I think that was that, and that happened like three months before the Harvey Weinstein story came out. So it was really in the air. Um, oh, was that or was that early? I didn't realize the yeah, timing of it. Yeah, it was like three months before. It was the um, it was the reason that. Uh, and the, the the article was so so read and distributed. That, the one about not being believed. Yeah, yeah. that that Jody Cantor from the New York Times, who at that time nobody knew, was working on the Weinstein piece, um, asked to speak with me through yeah. a friend. Oh, really? I didn't have anything to give her, but um, right, like I didn't have any Harvey Weinstein stories. But, right. Uh, but the but yeah, but you were. Sort but of I knew about it. I knew it was happening. Right. Yeah. And it was starting to build. Yeah. And you were one of the first things to pop off. Yeah, it was it was sort of incremental. There were there were many of us that were really doing it. And then, um, you know, I think I'm also a founding member of Time's Up. And one of the great things that we've been doing, you know, Time's Up was like a thing that was a bunch of really pissed off, angry women who got in a room together Mm -hmm. and just were like, what are we going to do? We're we're not going to just be angry anymore. What are we going to actually functionally do? Yeah. How can we help? Um, How can we help? Yeah. yeah, and and that was and that to me is the catharsis. That's mm. that to me is what makes me not feel like a crazy person is to go. Okay, we started times up so that nobody ever has to say me too again. So no one has to do it. That's the point. And how's it. the momentum? How are you, are you guys still uh, in, uh, engaging? And yeah, I mean it's a it's huge now, um, and it's you know like all movements, it's like uh, it's had its criticism. It's had its criticisms. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's like trying to uh, fly a plane while you're building it. It's hard. It's fucking hard. And you get a, a hundreds of people with big ideas who are geniuses in their own right. Um, and and you're trying to like create a plan to shift Western culture as we know it. It's it can't be done overnight. So, no. um, but I think the progress that we've made is is absolutely extraordinary. Um, one of the very first things we did with the launch of it was. 
at one point, the women of the farm workers union had signed um, uh, a petition or a letter to us saying that they stand with the women in the entertainment business. So we wrote a response letter. Uh-huh. I think there was over 200 of us um, uh, basically saying, we see you and yeah. we we hear you and we stand with you in this effort to change the farm workers union and, and even in the restaurant business and all these other businesses. And we tied that with um, a, a legal defense fund, uh, which has raised over $30 million so far, which yeah. goes towards basically um, helping uh, both men and women who are uh, victims of harassment and sexual assault in the workplace. I went out with a woman years ago. I don't know if Dave knew her, but uh, she once said to me, and, and I and I can never forget it because it seems to be an, an, uh, encapsulate a lot of stuff. She used to. She was a bar. She's a sculptor. You know, mm-hmm. very tough woman, interesting character. But she used to bartend at a strip bar. But she wasn't a stripper. But she's a bartender. It was in. Uh, I think it was in Boston, and she quit. And uh, I said, "Why'd you quit?" And she goes, "I got tired of men looking at me like I was food." <laughs> <laughs> I like her. I like her. <laughs> but uh, good good luck with this book. I'm very happy about it. I'm happy to see you. Yeah. I'm happy to have uh, been part of it. Who are some of the other people in part of, in part of the audiobook? Because that seems like a whole other thing, the audiobook. Yeah. It's, so it's um, uh, Ben Foster. Oh, really? Yeah. I want to meet that guy. Oh, he's... Okay, I cannot wait to text him and tell him you said that. Because when I... I was at his house two nights ago, um, and... I told him I was coming to do this, and he goes, oh, God, I want to meet that guy. I shit you not. So he's a fan of yours, and sometime I'm going to connect you guys. You need to interview him. Yeah, I do, and I talked to uh, Oren. Yeah, yeah, Oren. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. and, uh, you know, we had a long conversation, me and Oren, and and he came up, and I'm, like, sort of half obsessed with Foster, and... uh, You'll become more obsessed once you meet him. uh Uh-huh. Yeah, he's a dark... He's a dark knight of the soul. Huh. How'd that happen? In the best possible way. Okay, I'll find that out. Well, I'm glad we're on the same page with that. Yeah. So he's one, yeah? He's one, and John Roberts, who's Lyndon Bob's Burgers. I haven't heard from him in a while. I haven't seen him around. He moved to Jersey. Hmm. He's in Jersey. And my dad, Russ Tamblin, Mm -hmm. um, a wonderful actor out of New York named Glenn Davis. Um, Yeah. No slappy? Um, Slappy was did do a voice for it, yeah. and then I had John come over and do it instead, <laughs> because it, the character is gay, and uh, you oh, know, no. did Dave do his gay guy? He was he was gay, and yeah, yeah, um, yeah. but then it was actually you know it was David who was like, I think this is a bad call, and I think you should get like a one of your rad. He did not say rad. David Cross did not say yeah. rad. He said one of your gay gay friends. Yeah, he just said get the real deal. Yeah, you, yeah, you have not? it. Right. You yeah. have it, so go get it. I think that's it. right. I yeah. Think that, oh, good. All right, well, um, when's it out? Uh, the book is out June 26th. It's right. called Any Man. And you're going to send me one so I can read it on a plane? No. Thank you. Again, Amber Tamlin's new novel, Any Man, out June 26th. You can pre-order it now wherever you get books. Listen, folks, I was excited to meet Holly Hunter. Wouldn't you be? It was very, uh, just this year, come over to the house, show up, uh, say she liked my house. We talked a little bit about patio furniture, front porch furniture, and then we went into the garage and knocked out the conversation. So, as I mentioned before, Holly is the voice of Mrs. Incredible in The Incredibles 2, which opens everywhere tomorrow, June 15th. And this is her and I talking about a lot of stuff, 
uh, back in the new garage. Uh, me and Holly Hunter now. Sound good? Good. I'm just going to put this down so I can actually see you. I think that's a good idea. I appreciate the uh, the impulse. A lot of people, they don't, they don't know how to do a mic. But well, God knows you know how to do a mic. Well, You're spent, an you know, we're here talking about <laughs> yeah, a movie then, where I was at a mic. Yeah. I was, it was so interesting. This guy at Disney, the same room. You would probably be really interested in this yeah. room. It was um, the same room where they recorded Jungle Book. Louis Prima came in oh, and really? was oh, yeah? know, playing, With his orchestra? singing. Yeah. And, uh, but the, the guy there, Doc, he's the sound engineer. Yeah. He's outfitted the recording booth yeah. with all these kind of the 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 microphone is on a um an automated he can automatically move the mic with right with um remote control from his booth oh and, and normally you know the guys are doing it it's like sure. analog i mean yeah. you're coming in yeah. like right. adjusting it yeah but he can do it from the booth kind of soundlessly yeah so as you're recording he can move it, it. oh really it'll just uh, the mic will just start moving I guess it's uh, it's it's less cool. uh, it, it's not as rude either as someone coming in going like could you just uh, you know right. focus on yeah. them a yeah. cut you know hold on Holly you know no <laughs> yeah it just adjusts and they have like these bars that fly down uh-huh. that you can hang from yeah if yeah you're, if you're doing like really you know physical stuff oh so you can get you the can kind of get yeah the feeling it helps or there's right? a bar also that you can push up against so you can or act you can like pull it yeah yeah so it's kind of it's Disney is obviously animated wise. They're set up for. Yeah. They got the legacy. Yeah, of course. It's the original place. So right. like, so you're at the the old lot in this old right, room, man. and it's you can, so beautiful. It's so hum. You would love. You would yeah. particularly. Yeah. I think love yeah. it. And you can feel the history of everything. Yeah, it's very humble, very kind of like very low key. Yeah. But where is it? Burbank. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. It's in Bur- in, in Burbank it's, and. Uh, I don't know. I just, I particularly love recording there. Uh-huh. And how long did it take to do this movie? About a year and a half, maybe a year and a half. Wow. Really? Um, but yeah, I mean, for me though, it was nothing. Yeah. I mean, for me, the the animators were like breaking their asses to, right. to do I guess this. that's what you're not. I you're, was like coming in once a month and hanging out with Brad and having some laughs. Yeah. Those guys were like working you know, yeah. 24-7. Doing the cells. Because I guess all that's done on computer now. There's no reason. There's no guys but, sitting around inking, are there? Yes. The, the, they, the, the, those guys draw. Those, yeah. Those guys all draw. And then some of them do their stuff on the computer. But it, it's it's still a yeah. phenomenal thing because, you know, they'll go, you know, so-and-so is like on fire. <laughs> she did three seconds yesterday. It's like yeah. they if they do a second a day of anime of film yeah, time, right. a second. That's crazy. A day, then they're they're like they're they're booking. Wow. So so what is it like? What's the storyline of this one? Well, it's funny. This movie, The Incredibles Two. The Incredibles Two. Brad, um, the the feat of the movie yeah. is the. Comp- Partly the complexity, yeah, because it does feel like there's about five movies, wow, in one, yeah, and he's able to weave them narratively uh-huh. together uh-huh. in a way that, that it's it's like they're necessary, right? It's 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 inevitable. Have you seen it? It's yeah, yeah. And it's, it's I think it's look. I, I think the movie is 
is dazzling. The movie takes place yeah. for like 14 seconds after the last movie. Okay. And it's 14 years, but in animated time, it's 14 seconds. Okay. Right. So, like, basically the family is in the exact same position of jeopardy yeah. that they were in when the, right. the, the last Picking one Picking up right there. With the underminer, the bad guy yeah. coming after us, coming, you know, coming yeah. after the city. You know, the superheroes are still illegal, uh-huh. and the parents still don't know that their youngest son, the infant, Jack-Jack, uh-huh. has crazy powers. Right, right. So they don't know that. That he's really a superhero. That he's he's a superhero right. himself. Yeah. They think that he's a normal baby. Yeah, yeah. All right. So you have all of it's those. It's a common problem with parents. <laughs> well, in fact, it probably <laughs> most parents would agree yeah. <laughs> yeah. that their baby is like right. super in of some course. weird way. A genius. Like a genius <laughs> in terms of like never sleeping. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, so that's where we uh-huh. we start. And, and like the the first movie was incredibly popular. It's got a huge following, right? The Incredibles operates on it's not necessarily for children. I mean it, it right. certainly is a movie that children can enjoy. Yeah. But yeah. but um Brad this guy Brad Bird, he's a bit of a genius. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Why? Cuz he's got he can get all the balls in the air. He knows how to like really <laughs> like he just he's one of those guys that well, seems like just, it's expansive yeah, yeah 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 he's kind of a high low guy i mean he's got real highbrow real lowbrow humor right um, right it operates on a, a kind of uber sophisticated level and and visually it's really sophisticated right um well that's the trick he has great passions great visual loves yeah and he's got a great um the Disney legacy and yeah. the you know he's he's a real historian oh of, really oh yeah animation so he's a Disney nerd an himself. animation nerd yeah I mean he, he's got a, a that's that's really where he comes from he's highly he's highly educated about about the history of, of animation well, that's and, great yeah bring a lot to it Yes. Yeah, I mean it's it's sort of like I mean what is uh, what's the interaction as an actor when you work with a, a animation director? How I many? How is he in the is he in the booth? I mean, what happens? No, he's he's not in the booth. I mean, I you know this is the only animated movie I've ever done. So uh-huh. these two, so yeah. I I I don't know how these in other general guys yeah. do this. Yeah, because I've done voiceovers before, and they're generally like someone's usually there. You you assume one of them's a director. I don't know. You you know, like you're just in a room, and someone says, okay. Yeah, they're talking to yeah, you, a disembodied and, voice, yeah, and or, or even like, they're on the phone. <laughs> right, right. And they're like, right. okay, we're good, I think. That's it? Right. Yeah, you're and good. And they'll go, hold on just a second. And then there's silence because they're conferring. Right. But yeah. they're, they're, none of that with, is what... No. Brad is in the room. Oh, he's there. He's he's right sure. there. He's, oh, okay. So he's, you are... He's, he's, he's you and right. I'm me, except we're both standing. Oh, so he and is directing you. There's a microphone yeah. between us. Right. And... And it's just really, uh, and he is the director. Yeah. That it, and it's just between him and me. There yeah. is no conference. Uh-huh. He's going, yeah. Yeah. That, that, you know, and yeah. he'll have a suggestion and then he's like, great. Yeah. And then we move on to the next scene. Isn't it easier to uh, make adjustments when it's just your voice? You know, and if a director goes, can you just give that to me a little, maybe tired? And you're like, yeah, no problem. Absolutely. As opposed to like- I can be tired. (laughs) 
Yeah, but like when you're on a set with a bunch of moving parts and it's live action, you know, to sort of get a note and then reconfigure it into the entire scene, it's a big deal. But with the voice, it's just sort of like, yeah, sure, let's try it a couple times. I don't know, but the the live action thing, yeah. Mark. That's what that's I what I do. I know that. I would but I, never call it live action. Well, I don't know. I just it's meant just it. acting. Right. I meant it as opposed to animated. <laughs> right. Right. But but live action. Where did that word come from? Um, that's a knife. I see that. Yeah. And it's got like places <laughs> for your fingers. Yeah. I don't know what, where it came from. I actually do, but it's not really. I just uh, I found no. It. It's a it's a cool. It's an object. I don't know where live action came from. I guess live action came from, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, you, know, you at some point, there were so many animated movies, you had to draw a line. Yeah, there, a so, line must be drawn. Right, it's a live action movie. Real people. <laughs> right. Yeah. I always feel kind of sad when I, I find myself occasionally accidentally saying it. What, live action? Yeah. Yeah. Have you, have you read Tree of Smoke? The no, I, I haven't read that, Dennis Johnson. Dennis Johnson, he's great. Great. Oh, man. Right. Love, love him. It's like, like really amazing books. Like, yes. I, do you, I, I watched you, like you worked with my friend, well, I guess we're friends. I mean, we're certainly contemporaries, uh, Kumail uh, and Emily, who uh, you know I know well. You love it, huh? Yeah, I love You Kumail. love doing that movie? Yeah, no, I'd lo- I love those guys. Yeah. I miss those guys. You do? Yeah. I, I was just, it's so funny. I was thinking about them this morning going, ah, you know, I miss them. Do you, you but you live in New York? Yeah. So do, when you come out here, do you have people you visit? You could have maybe dropped over, said yeah, hi. No, 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 definitely. <laughs> I mean, uh, when when I, you know, there I've got so many great tight friends in L.A. Yeah, in some ways, some of the some of the greatest friends that I have live out here. Yeah, from a, a life in show business. That's right. <laughs> L.A. collects great people. Of course. Why do you stay in New York? Ah, you know, I just I uh, love New York. Yeah, I can't get New York out of my head. Are you in the city? Yeah. Yeah, and and you you still you don't think it's changed a lot, or you, you it's changed have, phenomenally, and in good way, or like you. Ah, uh, you know, I mean, I think Giuliani just like he just wrung a lot of the edge out of the city back then. Back you know, then, but, but now, like, back yeah, I don't even know. Who, right, I don't. Yeah, I was there. I was there in the eighties, and I don't even know. Like, I don't where know. Where were you? Where were you? Second between A and B. <laughs> What? 1989 to 1992. Yeah, it was a war zone. That's edge. Yeah, it was a war zone back then. (laughs) But now, like, you go there. You were stepping over needles and stuff. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And there were point guys. There was a whole racket going. There was a doorway next to my house where they line up to get the dope. And now there's a nice cafe there. It's a nice little cafe there in that exact place. Wow, that's... Everything's changed. Yes, everything is... And, co- and some of the edge, maybe it was nice to, to not have to look over your shoulder, like, constantly. Well, I think that, but, like, you know, like, when but they... But I think it's a little too soft. Right. Well, when they did Times Square, there was, like, that's a... tough. But it, it is pretty spectacular. Do you, you know what I mean? Like, I think, like, like I, I'm of two minds about it. Like, do we really miss the porno theaters and live sex shows and... You know, Port Authority being a, a complete fucking shit show. But it still is. Uh, right. Port Authority is like, wow. Do you <laughs> what, remember that place? What that, are you that, doing the, over there? <laughs> the, the Penn Station. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. Did they tore that down? Did they tear Penn Station down? Well, I mean, it was like. Under, un- it's under Madison Square Garden. No, right? it was the one that was just like beyond magnificent. You got to see this documentary about it. Oh, really? You got to check. Well, I mean, it's it's any, it's 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 truly mind blowing. That uh, they tore this, this the, the old the old building down. 
Yeah. Yeah. I just think I I think that like Times Square, like as it's touristy and it's weird, but the lights. It's like if they took a wrecking ball to Grand Central Station. It would be exactly like taking a wrecking ball to Grand Central Station. The sounds terrible. The monumental. of Penn uh, Station, the original Penn Station. Yeah, I don't. It I, was. I don't it was much it. bigger than uh, Grand Grand Central. It was uh, a massive building. I love Grand Central. Yeah, me too. I love going in there. It's just New York. It's beautiful. So, where'd you grow up, though? In Georgia. Georgia. Yeah. Like rural Georgia. Yes. Like city. Really. Um. You know, actually, not that far from Atlanta, but it was. You know, I grew up on a farm. And what they have on the farm? Uh, hay, cattle. <laughs> So it was a cattle farm? Yes. And your dad and was- And hay. Uh, well, your, your family were cattle farmers? Um, no, my father was a, like a gentleman farmer, but yeah. the farm was a fully working operational gig. I mean, it was- uh, Right. Um, and both of my brothers, I've got two brothers who live and work on the farm. Still? Now. Yeah. So it's the family farm is still in intact. The family farm is still happening. Yeah, and like how many acres? How many cows? Like, like a lot? 150 acres. Oh, my God. No, 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 sorry, 250 acres. Wow. Um, and, it's you huge. Know, I don't know how many, ca- how many huge. cows they have. It's, but for for a farm, it's it's small. 250 acres is small when you've got the farms out in Texas that are like 30,000. I guess so. That's true. You know, it's really it's yeah. pretty, you know. And is it a dairy modest. farm? They or they or they're Beef. Oh, so they, they, yeah, they make meat. Meat cows. Yeah. Meat cows, often referred to as beef cows. Yeah, yeah beef cows. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and you, uh, did you work on the farm as a kid? No, 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 no. No, not at all? No, my father was a true, true blue sexist. Oh, really? Yeah. No, no working no, on farms. No, girls did not do that kind of thing. <laughs> girls should wear dresses and yeah. help their mother set the table. Uh-huh, so that's what you did. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and what'd your mother do? This is just the older version of that. An older version of setting the table, yeah. <laughs> making the food. And my mom, you know, she she was a, 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 a what do you call it? Like um, she was a housewife. Yeah, that's what. That's you call what it. my mom did. A farmer's wife. It yeah, sounds she like. was really she, but no, not a farmer's wife. She uh-huh. was a housewife. Yeah. Um, she was a fifties housewife. You know, very very much in that tradition. Yeah. Yeah, and did uh, so. Your brothers are older or younger? All older. So I'm the youngest. There's three of you. No, there's there's five brothers and, and one sister. You? Oh, really? You have five brothers and a sister? So there's seven altogether. Are they all still around? They are. Is, they they are. Is everybody friends? Yes. Oh, that's good. We we see each other. You know, that's... actually, we we all got together for the big sick. Uh-huh. So, um, Did they love the movie? Uh, yeah, they loved it. Oh, it's great. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's nice to hear about families that kind of keep getting along and everybody's, no one else is in show business. No, no, no. So they're all excited well, look, you know, for you. I, I think it's important yeah. to, I mean, for me personally, it's really important to kind of, to keep that um, connection. Yeah. I, I, I think you have to make compromises. Uh-huh. There are things that you maybe you don't want to discuss, you know. <laughs> There's stuff that you don't want to have come up. Yeah. Money and politics are generally two good yeah. things not to talk about. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and it's also, but it's fairly easy to avoid those topics. Is it? Even even in this day and age, I can absolutely avoid both of them with ease. But no one's pushing your buttons? Um, I, I, My buttons are not really pushable. It's just like, and I, I, I step aside. Yeah. 
You're not going to do it. No, because I feel for for me the priorities are really firmly in place. It's like there there's there's I'm I'm yeah. I'm an adult and right. I can I can handle it. I can handle it, and I don't need to talk to you about that. Right. <laughs> you know, we're, this conversation is over. I love you. Let's eat dessert. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Let's. And they know. know. Everyone knows. Yeah. You know, and, and they get it. They, they, I think everybody's, you know, obviously, if you have still have a, a, a connection with your immediate family, right, for the length of, you know, your entire adult life, yeah, it's because people have a certain, you sure. know, they got priorities and they've got boundaries and everybody understands, you know, what the lineup is, which right. is you want to keep this intact. That's right. And as long as you don't lose it's important. You, yeah. Right. And as long as you don't lose your shit. Cause some drama that could last for three, four years, right. ten or twenty. Twenty. Yeah, you want to avoid the twenty-year um, fight. Meltdown. Yeah, just yeah. The, the one meltdown that lasted twenty years. Yeah, that what turns into that weirdness uh, that hasn't happened. That most people like people have some at least six degrees of separation contact with that kind of um, fallout. Oh yeah, yeah. You want to avoid it. Yeah. I've gone years without talking to my dad at some point. I don't know that I lost those years. I'm, he's still around, so it, does, you know, it doesn't feel like I made a tremendous mistake. Right. It just had to be done at the time. Right. Sometimes <laughs> these things, they're inevitable. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I imagine, well, I'm, pro- I'm projecting. I imagine that because you're from the South that there are some lines that are drawn politically that must be challenging. <laughs> you're speechless? So what else can we talk about? <laughs> Not even going to talk to me about it. That's all right. No, I mean, wow, that's yeah. that's that's, that's a huge. Tough one. Yeah, it's that's tough. huge. Yeah, it's and, tough. And the 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 lines that are drawn, you know, from one state to another now seem so massive, and so yeah, kind it's of a trip, right? Vi- but you know, Georgia, it's very interesting. Yeah, because Atlanta is like I, I mean, I work in Atlanta, so but that, Georgia you know. could, uh, you know. Because of the black vote, yeah. I mean, Georgia could turn blue again. Sure. But I was just trying to, th- I mean, because people are so, um, they, p- there's there's been a lot of activation yeah, about, sure. you know. Reaction. Uh, of, yeah. Yes. Everyone's a, like wake, waking up. People, you... people are woke. Yeah. And, and Georgia is experiencing that big yeah. time. Yeah. So it's kind of going from, from violently red to possibly blue. Yeah. It's exciting. It's yeah, exciting. very. It's exciting when Americans all of a sudden realize that maybe they have to engage in the political process. I know, man. I, you know what I mean? It's very hard as a, you know, even for me, where you just sort of like, what have we been doing for 30 years? I know. It takes a state of emergency. Exactly. And, and that's, it, it, that's, a, that's unfortunate. For almost anything to happen. I know. Does it have to, do we have yeah, to go this yeah. far? Yeah, but, well, yeah, we we don't, but it's sort of like, I think people just get disconnected, detached, you know, bored with the political process process they they get the thing in the mail they're like oh, i don't even know don't where know. i'm going who's this guy what is that job i need a glass of wine sure yeah yeah i need some wine <laughs> i'm not gonna make it over to the voting place it's dirty <laughs> <laughs> can't we just do it at home yeah you can if you send the thing in oh did that already come yeah it's probably <laughs> <laughs> so what so did you when you left georgia were you like i gotta get the fuck out of here um I, yeah. yeah. Although, uh, it, yeah, yeah. I, I would say that that's true. I love living in New York. Yeah. And I don't have any 
desire to live in the South again, except I will say I find New Orleans an incredibly seductive um, original city. Right? You it's know, hold the, it's like New its Orleans own thing. Is, it's, is, it's, it's its own thing, and... And I find it really powerful mm-hmm. when I go there. It's just like the pull is yeah. just so beautiful. It's almost mystical. Mystical. Right. Um, so, and I hope New Orleans never loses that. It doesn't seem like it's going to. Yeah. It's, um, I, I was there not too long ago. I didn't, I didn't feel like it was like, ah, oh, this isn't the same. There's still that thing. Great, man. Well, just a thing like just looking at the buildings, it's like this. there's nothing like these buildings anywhere. It's like a, down to the architecture. Like, there's nothing. This isn't. It's what were you doing thing. down there? I did a show, did stand up show uh, a couple years ago, I guess, and uh, walked around a bit. Had do you a, like doing stand up? I do it a lot. Yeah, I do it. Yeah, I like doing it. Well, um, do you come job. to New York? Yeah, sure. Do you I did. go to Comedy Cellar? I mean, where do you? I do the cellar sometimes. Yeah, I, I used to go there a lot when <laughs> I lived in And do you like York. the intimacy of the cellar? I mean, how? I, I like making. Or do you a, like the bigness? Of, do you like going to the beacon? I like making uh, a, a place the size of the beacon intimate. That's a, like that's what the challenge that I've taken upon myself. Uh, I was just at Royal Festival Hall in London. It's about twenty six hundred, and I like bringing it in to where it feels intimate. I mean wow. that that's been the evolution of what I try to do, as opposed to rising to the space. Let's bring the space in. And, and it, how do you do that? I mean, what I like- sit down. <laughs> You know, you sit down, you talk directly That's to people, cool. right? You know, it, it mean it's like how much energy do you want to exert, and you know how how what what's the quality of laugh that you want? You know how much of you know how much you want to be engaged? I think it's a matter of engagement and taking emotional risks uh, that create an intimacy, not just you know going beat to beat. That's like theater. Well, that's interesting. I mean, I, I just I, I immediately just kind of thought about Spalding Gray. Right. Yeah, how that's a Spalding good Spalding would just kind of bring it. He would just bring it into him. He would just be sitting at that desk. Right. You know, that's and it. talking to people. It yep. was just like he controlled, you know, he, he controlled the closeness. And, I, and he made it. He demanded that it be close. That, well, I think that's a, that's if if I could think of if I could cite somebody that does something that I find that I would that I would aspire to. It certainly be that. Yeah, and he's not. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and I think you can do it with any space. I really do. I think theaters are built for, for that in a certain way. They're, they they kind of crave intimacy. That the idea of spectacle is a whole other thing. You know, if you're a rock concert or whatever. But you know, if you're in a theater, you know, you've done theater. So you, when you get out there. That it's it's visceral. You can feel the presence of the audience. You have a, a sense of 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 their investment and their emotional attention. And when you just talk, like the, to talk off a mic in a big space, people are like, "What's happening?" Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, just to sit down at the beacon is that's that's kind of a um, radical act. I think that's cool. I did it at Carnegie uh, two oh my, years ago. Wow, wow. And it was wow, a, Carnegie. That must wasn't that wonderful. I, Didn't yeah, well, you love the feeling? Yeah, I, th- I think I should have had. I did love the feeling, but like I kind of, I, I, yeah, it took me a while to get grounded because I was nervous and emotional, and I couldn't believe I was there, <laughs> and I was sort of, you know, winging in a little of bit course, for man. about like a half hour. I was just floundering around, but once I leveled, but that was another situation where I'm like, I, I got to make this intimate, and th- there was a point in the show 
where, um, you know, I wanted, my dad had sent me a text that I thought was hilarious, but I'd left my phone backstage and I wanted to read it. So I was in a very improvisational place, even at Carnegie Hall, and I was asking someone to bring me my phone from backstage and no one heard me. So it became this little mystery in the middle of the show. Like, are they going to bring it? Is this going to happen? Are they, is this, am I talking? Yeah, exactly. And then someone appeared. Can you hear me? Exactly. It's that. And when they finally showed up, it was a very exciting moment for everybody. <laughs> wow. So, and yeah. did you feel the, the acoustic? I mean, did you feel oh, yeah, the wood definitely, definitely. of the liveness of that oh, yeah, room? Definitely. As opposed to the beacon? I, I've which, never done the beacon yet. But, oh, okay. But, yeah. but definitely, I, you definitely feel Carnegie. You feel the whole history of it. You know, there's like. Totally. I, did, I, just, I, I can imagine. I, I can only imagine what, yeah. what that must be like to look out. Because I, mean, yeah. I love to go to Carnegie. It's and like circular. Watch. Yeah, it's like sort of. Yeah, I, I love places where you can hear, you know, like that are designed for instruments. You know, where you can hear like just anything. So what about Disney? Oh yeah, I've, I've only been there once. I've not seen a show there. I've um, not seen the symphony. You, you... I would go. Yeah, I like Lincoln Center. I've performed in opera houses. Like I've, you don't like Lincoln Center? You don't yeah, like but it? Not Disney here. You I know, got the, it's pretty, the creme de la creme. I, I mean, Disney is unbelievable. It the creme de la creme? Oh. Yeah, man. Have you been there? Oh yeah, yeah. tons. I mean, I love to go to Disney. Yeah. Um, whenever I'm in LA, I try to go to. to I mean, Esapeka Salonen. Yeah. And then you guys got Dudamel. Yeah. I mean, it's it's two not really of the greatest my... conductors in the world. Yeah, I got to get more into it. You guys have. I know. Um, but I I don't know that world. Like a lot of times, I'm if I'm in New York, I've started to go to uh, to see the jazz. You know, over to see Marsalis and those guys at Jet Lincoln Center. Right. And then like, but I just do it. I don't, I don't plan it. Like if I'm in the city and I'm like, you know, I got a little money, you know, what's over there? (laughs) (laughs) You know, like I did that at Lincoln Center. I don't know. It's like, all right. So they're playing a little bit of Beethoven and some other shit. I don't know these people, but how bad could it be? It's at Lincoln Center. Right? So you just pay the... But I would say, I mean, if you could see Dudamel here, Dudamel is just, he's such a visceral conductor. I mean, I think he brings out like a, he's just, he's a a world-class guy. Yeah. You know, he's like, he's very... He's very visceral. I yeah. mean, I, I sure. think that the, the, the kind of music that he draws from musicians is really, he's got a really global influence. He loves, you know, a, a, a real international sound from his musicians. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, he would be a great guy. I'll go. To just go listen to I, and watch i appreciate you, you what he does yeah i appreciate you telling me to do that i mean it, i'm really jealous that la has him and that well, new york doesn't well now i feel like a, 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 just an asshole an unsophisticated no no idiot. man no no you, you, it's go. a treat you're gonna get to go to disney music hall with one of the great conductors you know uh-huh and who who brings a I don't know I'm excited kind of an earthy feeling to classical music. But do you are you do you know classical music well? No, not really. But you just but, like that dude. But I I well I I like the L A I like the L A Phil. All right, well I'm going to go because like I've been wondering how to enjoy life, and this seems like a step well, in the right d- direction. You know, definitely go there, and <laughs> you can then you can also check out the space and go. Hey, yeah. you know, you could perform there. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, because that would be incredible. Yeah, you like I mean that's. You would probably adore that. It might be. It, yeah, it might be exciting. I performed at the Symphony Hall in San Francisco, which is the, it, another big, huge and acoustic I, I space. I don't know that. Well, here's the issue. Like, I learned a weird lesson 
you know it's about 1900 seats but like it's a space where they do comedy sometimes for whatever reason if you can get people in there i sold okay but there's a giant organ that just it's always there and it takes up the entire back of the right. wall and and uh i felt that you know subconsciously people were expecting something bigger <laughs> So when I did this face, I did this at Royal, Royal Festival Hall in England. And again, I walk the out. Organ. It's a fucking organ. Well, and at Disney Music Hall, with, you would have the same thing. Right. So, But they said to me, they said, we can we can put a curtain in front of the organ. I'm like, would you? Because I've had experiences with organs this size. Or I feel could you just like go play a couple of notes and just like. Maybe, but I don't even know where the keyboard was. All you see are those pipes. I know it's true. Where, where is it? Like, I don't know where the guy sits. It is, it's, it's unbelievably mysterious. So when you were in New York, did you work with Spalding? No. Well, you know, it's so wild that one of my first experiences that I ever had was with Spalding when he was um, with Richard Schechter and the um, the, the Worcester. original Worcester group. Yeah. Um, but this was like 1977. Uh-huh. I was in Pittsburgh going to Carnegie Mellon University and the Worcester group and Spalding came through town. And oh, they really? did a workshop with yeah. us. Um, because I was a, you know, I was at a, an acting conservatory. That's, well, that's one of the big ones. That was, yeah. yeah so he came in and they, they, the Worcester group did a workshop with us and then I, you know, he was unforgettable. And then they performed, you know, uh, three plays, um, over that weekend. So we, we saw them perform and then we worked, yeah, but it was unforgettable for me. Yeah. Um, what left the biggest impression? His improvisatory freedom, uh-huh. his, intuitions i mean think you know things would come to him and it would just be impulse he would have an impulse and then he would act on act on the impulse and that's something that actors you want you know uh-huh. you 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 court that yeah that thoughtless kind of thing yeah yeah and i thought that he mastered that um as a monologist but i mean i wonder like no but this was kind of as an actor uh-huh. um as an improviser okay yeah um, right but like it's harder to do that in character i would think well, he really wasn't thinking about character. Right. He was thinking about like circumstances. He right. would, he would, you know, pose these circumstances to us, uh-huh. and then you know, yeah. and put some conflicts in for us, some obstacles, uh-huh. and then we would deal. So it like, wouldn't yeah. be like doing a part. Right, it right. would be like just dealing with this, in, the, in, you know, conflict. Yeah, the improvisation that, of the immediate. Right. Right. It's so happening I, now. I just thought he was kind of, you know, really a profound. A profound artist yeah. that I was seeing really young yeah. in my, you know, or very early on in my studies. And did you meet him again later to, to tell him that he had this amazing impact on you? No. Never? I saw him, you know, several times, uh-huh. um, but I never went backstage. Oh. I was too intimidated. So, Carnegie Mellon, how'd you end up there? So, did you do theater in Georgia early on when you were younger? You did, yeah. I, I um, you know, sometimes I forget. I'm just like nodding my head, and you're like, Molly, you gotta talk. <laughs> She's nodding her head now. That's a, that's a yes. That silence is we a yes. A translator, a, a verbal translator. Yeah. But you did, like, you did, yeah. She's tired of talking. Are you tired of talking? <laughs> no, but you know. So do people just play with all these kind of fun things that certain, you have? Certain people do. I mean, this is this is a hammer. It's a with half a, a hammer. Split handle is very Scary. provocative. It is provocative. It's I, like I it's found like it. cropsy. It's yeah. like this should be in a horror film. Yeah, it might be. Might be. If you put a little blood, sure, you're all set. 
Yeah, some people play. I, I sometimes I wonder why they play, and I but I like having. Do things you think out wow there. they're playing because they're nervous, or? I know. I think it's a comforting thing. They usually. wish they had a cigarette, or what is it? Something. Uh, yeah. Are they bored? They, I don't mind if people smoke if they want to smoke, <laughs> but uh, I don't know if they're bored. I, I think it's a it's a way of it's um, an anxiety, anxiety, and also sort of like uh, it's distracting. Hey, and, yeah. and you know what this looks like? What's mosaic it? man. Yeah, it's a mosaic mushroom. Is this mosaic man? No. That was a fan made that. They put oh, wow. the name of the podcast and they put a little cat on and top. And you know Mosaic me. Man in the East Village? Oh, yeah. He does them all over the lights. Right, so right, like, right, oh, right. that's right. That guy. Right, right, no, I don't, I don't think that's his right, work. But right. I do. when I go it to New York, I do an, like it. Definitely inspired by him. So, um, anyway, yeah. Acting. So acting. Ah, oh, yes. Acting. So, <laughs> oh, try to get a little. The subject that I warm to. <laughs> <laughs> but in Georgia, what were you doing? Just like high school stuff or? Just high school stuff. But you, you know, knew you wanted to do musicals. I was, yeah. you know, in high school musicals. Uh, I would love to and, see and, you yeah. in a high school musical. So th- then, and then I, uh, <laughs> and, you know, then I was a, a, a director, saw me in a high school play, and he was the director of the Alliance Theater in Atlanta, which is the Atlanta's big theater, and he did um, uh, repertory theater uh-huh. in upstate New York. Oh yeah, summer rep. Sure. And so he said, "Do you want to come to my summer rep?" Uh, company yeah. and apprentice. This was when journeyman. This was when sure. you when you apprenticed. When yeah. you right, you, know, you learned how to clean things and build things days. and you know yeah. serve food and yeah, yeah. wash people's underwear. Oh well, that's a. You and, sure that everyone did that? And, and I had to. <laughs> and uh, you you know I helped actors off the stage in the dark and I turned the turntables in between scenes and all uh-huh. that yeah, all that yeah. crazy stuff that 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 apprentices do. Did you love it? I loved it. And who, what were some of the shows? Who were some of the actors you walked off stage? Did you meet people that impressed you? Did it, was it life-changing when you saw this people on the stage? You know, it was the first time that I had encountered a gay community mm-hmm. that I knew was a gay community. Uh-huh. And that gay community knew that they were gay. Yeah. So that when I went back <laughs> to my high school, I went, oh, wow, he's gay. <laughs> You know, one of my classmates. But did they know? He's gay and he doesn't know it. Uh And he may never, he may never know it the way that I know. Yeah, right. He may never be as comfortable as the people I met up there. He, he's never. That's right. It's almost a sad feeling for that person. It was. It was. It was. But it was an exciting awakening for me because there were all these like incredibly theatrical, at home, fun. Yeah. Um, you just wanted to take the gay guy you knew in high school and bring him up there. Yeah, and, and I know. Like, it. Just say, hey, r- man. Run wild. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. Um, so, yeah, there were a lot of really fun, impressive people, and I went, oh, I want I want to do this. This is you a world. You want to become part of the theater. I want to be part of this world. Yeah. Um, oh, that's great. And you did. You became that. So and what I were, became that. What's, what were some of the shows, though, that you were able to see? Because like, the summer stock's always a little odd. The, the tour. No, it the, is funny. It, it is funny? Um, well, I mean, we did Gypsy, we did Anything Goes, we did Cabaret, we did, you know, all, all but these. But so you didn't have celebrities coming in to do shows? It was just a, a group? Uh, just a that, group of, right, right. you know, and some professional actors were, uh-huh. were coming through. Right. But um, it wasn't like, it didn't have that kind of high profile. But right. for me, that didn't matter. It, right. This was the life and so that after you did that you were never the same again and you knew you had to leave and well you know i was just like i can i come back so they invited me back to this the second you know summer to apprentice. when i was 16 yeah so i was 15 and then when i was 16 i went back 
And then I just said, <clears throat> where should I go yeah. to study for, for to be a professional? Where should I study? Yeah. And they, uh, at that, it was, I don't even know why, but they all said Carnegie Mellon. Yeah. All those guys uh-huh. said Carnegie is the place to go. So that was the only school that I applied to. Um, I mean, I put everything in that basket. Sure. And, you know. You got it. Well, and, and yeah, so uh, you thank God. Because maybe I would just be a secretary in yeah. Atlanta. Yeah, a very, very exciting secretary. <laughs> right, very intense. Taking, you know, dictation. <laughs> very dramatic secretary. <laughs> <laughs> Why is she all worked up all the time? Yeah, wow. She's just she seems <laughs> what a pip. She seems really uh, very intense about yeah. the. She like, answers the phone very intensely. So unfulfilled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that so you did uh, undergrad at Carnegie Mellon. Is that how it works? You there for four years? Right. And that was uh, and it, uh, well, that might have been like the, I I don't know when the other the, Yale is Yale, but that's a graduate program. Juilliard, I don't. That's a graduate program. So you know, won- Juilliard's undergrad too. Oh yeah. They do the undergrad as well. Probably lucky you didn't. But go you know, there. I, I'm really happy. Yeah. You know, not not not. I'm just happy that I wasn't. That I didn't go straight from the farm to New York City. It was very nice to have a pit stop in Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah, Pittsburgh's all right. Pittsburgh's all right, and it was a great little way station. Mm-hmm. You know, because New York would have been too intense for me. And Pitts and you Carnegie know what you're is doing. Carnegie feels a little bit more like a little a little womb. It's a little you safe. It. It's a safe place to learn and yeah. you know, see Spalding Gray come down and yeah. get your mind blown in a safe environment before you go get beat up. Yeah, New York in 1976. Ugh. Probably when you know. Exciting. It was yeah. I mean, I was ready for it by 1980 but 76 just give me four years <laughs> is that when you went to when did you get out of carnegie mellon 80 oh okay so i mean i hit but new york and new york had like all the edge that we were talking about yeah just uh, you caught the last wind of it well i would say the 80s mm. the, the yeah, 80s so. had yeah. some nice i guess that's true you know because a lot of the you know a lot like stuff that a lot of the performance art stuff that was going on was still kind of doing it then. And, and soho was still yeah. very much an artist's you know, they were getting ready to be pushed out, you know. Right. But a lot of those buildings didn't have certificate of occupancies. I mean, all this, you know, all that stuff was still happening. So when you went up there, did you have a sense of how show business was supposed to work? Did you know what you were to do when you left Carnegie, when you moved to New York? Did you, or were you just sort of like, I'm here with my headshot? I came there with my headshot and a real sense of entitlement. Which is necessary when you uh, start to be uh, in show business. You need to be delusional and maintain it for as long as possible. Well, didn't you feel that way? Of course. How? Why else would anyone fucking do this? Right. You know, if you you need to have a certain amount of fearlessness. Like, hey, man, I get to be here. Yeah, and also, like, it's uh, it, it it'll come. I just got to show up. You know? Right. It, it's it's a it's a certain kind of um, you know. You know, as you get older, it's willful naivete. But at that point, it's just naivete. Well, I don't know how else what other kind of person really takes the chance. You know, anybody who's sort of like, I'm going to try it. It's like, no, well, that's not going to work out. Well, you're not. You're pretty much not going to go. You know what? I'm going to I'm going to give stand up a real world <laughs> at the age of 45. Yeah, no, believe me, it happens. I've seen it happen. But the, the bigger problem is, is like, what if you, what if all that self-will and uh, delusion that you need to, to sort of propel yourself into such a ridiculous profession, what if it doesn't work out? That's the sad story. 
that's a sad story. But then, of, of course, you know, sadness, you know, yes, strikes right us all sooner sure. or later. I mean, <laughs> you're, you're going to get the ebb. You're going to yeah, get yeah. the flow. Yeah. And some get it, or you know, earlier than others. Yes, there's no happy ending for anyone. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Nobody gets out of here. That's right. And so, um, yeah. When you get to New York, so what do you do? Who like? What's your first move? Who are your pals? What's happening? I didn't really. Well, I had a few pals, but I, I think you know, I met this casting director, Joy Todd. Yeah. And she just went. She just liked me. Uh huh. Um and. She started giving me extra work. Oh yeah! So I just did a, a lot of extra work you instead did? of instead of having to um, wait tables. I oh, did okay. extra work, okay. so you could you could make you know a hundred bucks a day, two hundred bucks a day. Right, and also you could be on a set. You could be a on a set. I didn't really care so much about that, but the money was nice. Oh yeah, okay. I didn't. I, I didn't want to. I wasn't fighting for the front. Of, <laughs> I wasn't fighting for camera time. <laughs> like, not at all. You weren't walking by several times? There's that girl again. Yeah, no. no, I didn't. That was not my... Well, what love. were you thinking? You wanted to do theater? Or were you thinking, like, what was the plan there? I you, wanted to do theater. That was it? Yeah. You weren't even thinking in terms of movies or TV. You're like, this is garbage. Where's the theater? No, I didn't uh, think that it was garbage at yeah. all. I just, like... It was the theater. That was what I trained for. Wanted to do, but yeah. hey, I didn't have any problems with movies or television. I mean, none. I yeah. wanted to be. I wanted to be an actress. Right. But I did move to L.A. Right. I did move to New York. Right. Yeah. I for mean, on I, purpose. It was the. It was a stage thing. But I had no. You know, I wasn't. Um, I, I, I. I wasn't snooty. Yeah. About like oh. Yeah. A television. Where'd you live in New York when you first got there? Uh, like, where didn't I live? Oh, really? I mean, but, you know, those were, like, like I said, you know, it was it was 80. Yeah. So, you could be an out-of-work actor and live in Manhattan. Sure. You could do that. Yeah. I mean, I had five roommates. Oh, yeah. Where, um, where was that place? On, like, 60, uh, between 66th. And 67th on Columbus. Oh, up there, But yeah. then, you know, I was on Amsterdam and 73rd, right, you uh-huh. know, across from Needle Park. Uh-huh. Um, then I was in the Bronx, the North Bronx. Yeah. Then I was um, in 9th Street between 2nd and 3rd, um, which was which was groovy. That's nice Not down far there. from you. Yeah, yeah, 9th Street, yeah, um, by Tompkins Square. Then I was, you know, Morton and Hudson. Oh, yeah, um, other side. Then 11th and... Wow, really Fifth and University, got and yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, you you move around a lot when yeah. you when you're young and you're living in New York City. Yeah, you're moving. Yeah, because you just meet people. You're like, no, right, you got a room. I'm tired of living with these nine people. How many people do you right. live with? Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The North Bronx is dull. <laughs> yeah. Let's get off the D train. Right. So when did you start getting work? Um, well, I got a, 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 a horror movie yeah. within three weeks. Of <laughs> being in New York? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got this horror film, yeah. and I and and uh, actually with, with the Harvey Weinstein. Um, oh, yeah? It was his first movie that he ever produced. Right when he got out of the music business? He was a concert promoter. Yeah. Right. And in fact, we, we were up in um, Buffalo in North Tonawanda, New York. And and the Commodores came through town. Harvey was prom- so we went and saw the Commodores because Harvey um, was promoting concerts, right? right. And it, was he a monster yet? Uh, you know, I had many many dealings with with Harvey. Yeah. Harvey obviously was a monster. I didn't see that for a long time. Yeah, but, and the monstrous part of Harvey that I was privy to was his. T- 
temper, uh-huh. um, which he has a, a mighty one. Uh-huh. But uh, how did that come out in your experience? Uh, your... Uh, at the Cannes Film Festival, which oh. you know Harvey was a kind of a permanent fixture at. Uh-huh. Um, but not directed at you. No, yeah, d- directed at me, sure. But uh-huh. Harvey, you know, he was he could be very sloppy with with all, with all everything. things, yeah, with everything. Uh huh. Um. But yeah, so I did the burning, yeah, and got so much money. I mean, I just had—I was like sleeping in cash. <laughs> you know, really? <laughs> I would just like wake up with bills from my per diem. Wow! I just couldn't believe how much money, uh-huh. you know, I was making on the burning. <laughs> yeah, it was nineteen eighty. I'd been in New York for three weeks, and I—it was raining, raining. <laughs> Give me cash. a number amount. This sounds crazy. It was for like a small you know, I—I I made like a thousand dollars. Yeah, you know, and it was like incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it's like so happy. You're, you're working actress, and it's raining money, right. a thousand whole dollars. Right. I'm going to move to a place with only two other people in it, and that is what happened. And I and I just got a roommate. Uh, who is that? Jason Alexander, you know who sure. uh, Seinfeld. He's been in here. And Jason and I got a place on on Amsterdam between seventy three and seventy four. Really, you lived with Jason, Jason Alexander. You lived with Jason Alexander. Yeah, me and Jason. We and Jason's wife, eventual wife. Uh-huh. Moved in with us for a little while, uh-huh. and then they moved out and got married. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so it was just me and Jason. Um, did you have? Did you guys get along? Did you? We were we were pals. Yeah, we were we were we were good pals. He's a it sweet was, guy. He's I've talked to him in here. He, we did a really great episode about about he's acting. Very sweet. Yeah, very sweet. Um, and he was doing musical theater. He yeah. was he was kind of a musical theater actor. Yeah, Big Mac, com- the uh, the the commercial, the, the the McDonald's commercial he did. Yeah, we we I pulled that up and we talked about. I'm it. not surprised. His Tim dancing. Jason would be a total natural. Yeah, he's just at, a, yeah at dancer. That. Yeah. So okay, so then what happens after the burning? Then I went into into a period of of not working after the raining money thousand dollars <laughs> right no then, then I nothing. had to like you know hit the deck with you know waitressing you did yeah um which place Chips Pub hmm um and then after I got fired from Chips Pub then I you know I started um temping yeah you know sure. be, you know yeah doing secret and I did secretarial stuff at HBO oh, um, yeah I was a temp on, over on Bryant Park. Was that what no, it was? Um, well, not. actually, yeah, not yeah. far from, on 6th Ave. Yeah. So and then I got a play. And once I got the play, yeah. then I just started doing plays. Was it a big play? What'd you do? It was an off-off-Broadway play. Uh-huh. But it was a, you know, really yeah. cool play. You could work. Yeah, it Get was a it. really fun play. Um, and that was, and then I started just doing plays. Almost like, oh, just almost all theater, huh? Yeah, I just, just went from one play to another and- and did that for, you know, for a, a, a couple of years, and got a, a a Broadway play. And which one? Crimes of the Heart. Oh, that's big. And then Joel and Ethan Cohen saw Crimes of the Heart, uh-huh. and then you know I got to know those guys. They were doing um, uh, Blood Simple. Uh huh. Was it was the the Cohen married to um, to Francis yet? No. Um, Fran and I were rooming. Fran and I were roommates. You were? Yeah. That must have been an intense household. Up in the North Bronx. (laughs) I just can't imagine the two of you just running around the apartment. An effortless friendship. I'm sure. And so Fran and I were up in the North Bronx, (laughs) and and I, you know, 
I met Joel and Ethan, and, I, and, and then they met Fran, and then they did Blood Simple, and then we all did Raising Arizona. Were you, you know in Blood I mean? Simple? You did, oh, you had a, a little, so that, you, did you facilitate the, the meeting of Fran and? I said, you should meet my roommate. <laughs> and that's how it started? She's married to Joel, right? Yeah. Uh, I can't. And wasn't she involved with the Worcester group at the time? And no, no. But Fran is deeply involved in the Worcester group present now. Right. She's she's done stuff with them through, you know, through the course of 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 these last, you know. Yeah. But not when you were roommates. No, no. You were Um, just work trying to get. No, Fran. Fran's involvement with the Worcester group was later. Okay. Um, Yeah. So that's so that's exciting. So you meet these Cohen brothers. Before, right before they even start, you're, you're around with their first movie. That, That's right. Yeah. And then That's she, right. they give you the lead in their second movie. Right. That's right. So, and Fran is in the second movie, too. Oh, yes. I remember. And I'm in yeah. the answering machine in Blood Simple. You know, there's an answering machine that comes up, and, and, and I'm on, my voice is on the answering machine. Right. I love Raising Arizona. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I mean, I can't. They, I mean, it was so funny and so wild, and like how now you've worked with them then and and later. So how did how did they work at the time they did Blood Simple? Because I've talked to I just talked to Josh Brolin about working with them, and I'm just curious about how that process is. I mean, was it different working with them on on Raising Arizona and then you know Oh Brother? Where I mean, you know, what's the have you can you see the evolution in their process? Um. You know, oddly, not really. Uh-huh. Uh, Joel and Ethan are highly original. Yeah. And I think, you know, an exception. Yeah. To any rule, really. Yeah. They, just the way they feel slightly impervious to stress. I mean, things might annoy them. Right. But, but they, they have a, a real, it's a, it's a feeling of, they've got a safety it's maybe it's because they have each other, but right. they feel like I said it's 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 a certain kind of it's impenetrable in terms of the stress of the norm the the, the normal stress levels that people experience in making a movie. Yeah, I just think that that you know they, there's a confidence there. Um, yeah, right. They're in total they control. Totally exhibited in. I'm sure they exhibited in Blood Simple. They certainly it was there in in. Raising Arizona, and it was, I felt like almost identical um, was, in uh, Oh Brother, and I was cut out of Miller's Crossing. But like Raising Arizona, like I know it's a long time ago, but like everybody was so hilarious and, and kind of like, you know, Nicolas Cage at that point was so young and beautiful. I know. And it's so fucking funny. John I Goodman. I know. I mean, it's like, it must be wild to look back at that and just be like, oh my God. Yeah, it's just a really funny movie. It really is. It's just really funny. And I'd read somewhere that they based Nicolas Cage's character on Wiley Coyote. Well, no, that was Nicholas. Oh, he did? Nick did that. Oh. That was the, the, the Cage influence. <laughs> he brought that in. He did. And they, like, couldn't deny it. Oh, right. I mean, Nick is very committed, and, and yeah. he lived that. Uh-huh. You know? He did. He walked the walk, and, and, and Joel and Ethan were like, yes. Uh-huh. Wow. So did you love working with him? Nick? Yeah. 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 I, I don't know. I, I, I'm in awe of Nick. Yeah. I, I think he's like a, in a, in, there's nobody like that guy. I know. I mean, the, what Nick keeps showing up with over the decades is incredible. Yeah. The chances that Nick 
can take. The I don't know the ability that Nick has is is kind of I feel like it's without limit. Yeah. I mean, like what what can the guy not do? I guess that's true, huh? I do. I feel that way about him. I mean, uh, David Gordon Green did this movie called Joe. Yeah, I and, heard about this. And I yeah. thought that Nick was, you know, so beautiful in it. I was just talking to Lynn Shelton about that the other night. I, I've not seen that movie. Yeah, it, it's a it's a real. It, he really does a. It's a it's a very difficult thing because David Gordon Green likes to work with a bunch of non actors. Yeah, and that's a hard intersection. Yeah, to like make to be cool with. Yeah, if you're working with non actors in a way to be as good as them can be hard I, right because they're just doing the one thing they do because yeah they're yeah, just being they're just being yeah and sometimes that's all you want to that's all you're aspiring to do yeah and so i thought nick just did that so gracefully wow hey, do you talk to him do i haven't have... seen or talked to nick in years but whenever we run into each other there's a i think great affection like we went to high school together kind of thing like well we, i mean we I, I think that you know because the success of raising arizona it had a strange kind of shape uh-huh. because initially it was not a successful movie right. it became beloved over right. the decades oh i guess that's true huh yeah. Yeah, and I and it was at the beginning of both of our careers. At a very vital time for right. each other, you were there. Right. And then, like, you took off, and then, like, broadcasting. Like, it seems to me like I feel like I grew up with you because I see you in movies so much. But broadcast news and other, like, because you take a lot of chances, too. I mean, when you say that about Nicolas Cage, I mean, I, when I was looking at the uh, the films you've done, I mean, you don't shy away from going out there. Thank you. I mean, like, you know, like Crash. I mean, that's, that's that heavy. Was fun. That's heavy shit, you know, and, and even The Firm, which I love that movie. I love The Firm. And I thought you were great in that. Oh, thanks. And, and I don't think these are safe things. And that, Well, obviously, the piano. But those aren't, there's nothing safe about how you approach acting. It's very exciting. Thank you. And like when I think of like the like you and Francis together, I'm like, oh my God, how can one room contain that? <laughs> <laughs> so you, you know what I mean? But let's, let's, let's like move through a couple of things. Like when you do something like uh, The Firm, who I, working with all these different directors, like someone like Sidney Pollack, who, who you know, was kind of amazing. How do you judge directors in terms of, like, the work? I mean, do most of them just hire you and expect you to just do what you do? Or do, are there ones that that really kind of work with you through things? I mean, I think that, you know, um, a great director, a, a really great director casts magnificently right. and then steps out of the way so that, you know, and, and, and really, I think, what most actors want is the director to provide an environment, you know, an atmosphere that feels right for that story. Yeah. Um, that's supportive of the story. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Sure. Um, and that 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 feels I, for me. I I love it if I feel just in general if I feel loved by a director. Yeah. You know, if I feel that the director really admires these actors. Yeah. And. I mean, I've worked with some directors who were a fabulous audience, like my dream audience. Yeah. And that can kind of inspire a better performance. Yeah, um, I bet. I don't want it to be a negative atmosphere. Right. Like if somebody is a screamer, yeah. that's hard. And that happens? I, I, yeah, I, I don't like, I won't deal with that. Yeah. That's, that's not conducive. It's abusive. To it. It's abusive. Right. So that's got to stop. Right. Um, I just don't, I don't, I don't truck. Have you, have you walked off sets before because of someone's insanity? No. I just oh. take them quietly aside. <laughs> I just take them to somewhere and say, listen, man, 
you got to go back and apologize to everybody. I mean, yeah. now you got to say you're sorry because right. we can't. Yeah, you're going to ruin everything. Yeah, now you, you got to go do that. Yeah. <laughs> and you probably don't want it, want to, but that's the only way that everybody's going to be able to stay on board with you. And you need us. You know, you need us to stay on board with you to do this movie. You know, I mean, it, it's, How often you have it's you like, you know, I, 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 I don't want to be... I, I don't want to fight fire with fire in those situations. I want to fight fire with a certain amount of love. Yeah. And say, you're like, you lost your shit. Yeah. And I, and everybody has. <laughs> and now, you know, you can make it right. I, I feel like just, you just saying that right now, I feel like I should try to make something right. Can, can you? <laughs> I, I, I just want to apologize for everything I've ever done. That's so great. <laughs> well, we can go on. Um, right. But anyway, I mean, yeah. yeah sometimes I mean, I, I would never want to direct. It looks like a nightmare. Mm. <laughs> it looks like a nightmare, a mountain of stress. And working with like you, like the piano obviously was a, a, a wild movie, and that's a long time ago. But like, you, yeah, I mean, you won the big thing. That was was that great? Yeah. No, listen, that was great. Yeah. And I love Jane. Yeah. I love Campion. Yeah. I love Harvey. Yeah. Harvey, yeah. Have you worked with him again? No. Like he's like a trip, man. I love Harvey. Yeah. I mean, what an odd part for him too. No, really I mean, you know, I see Harvey, we start crying. You do? Yeah, I mean, we fall into each other's arms. Oh, I mean, I love I love him. Yeah? Yeah. And that, was that the first time you met him was on the set of that thing? Yeah. Oh man. It was. That's the first time I ever met met him. He's, but he's, I do. He, I I I I hold Harvey close. He's he's another one that takes real chances. Like for just yeah. a kid from New York, I mean, he really does a thing. I know, man. It's crazy. I mean, I I'm looking forward to seeing this movie that he did with Scorsese and De Niro and oh, the Italian movie. Yeah. Yeah. Is it done? <laughs> I don't know, but <laughs> I heard. About whenever it. it is, I'm going to go see it. And what about the movie Thirteen, which I thought I love that movie too. Oh, that's, me too. What a it's a, kind of a harsh movie, but really great. Really beautiful. I mean, Catherine Hardwick. Wow, she yeah. did such an incredible thing. Yeah, such a, she's out. She really took risks. She had this Man. thing, you know. She it was like when I met her, I went, okay, yeah, this is the girl to direct this movie. Yeah, I don't know what this movie is. Yeah, but I want to be part of it. Yeah. And, you know, because she, I just felt like I was going to be on her ride. Yeah. it's Yeah. it's it, it was raw, man. Right? It was raw. Yeah. And very articulate. I thought so. Like, it made an impact on me. So, like, outside of the, uh, do you still, do you like doing any more theater? Do you still do theater? Or I did that... a, a play um, that the great David yeah. Rabe um, oh, wrote. Oh, wow. Um, he did. He well, streamers was his streamers play. Yeah, and right. um, Hurley Burley. Oh, Hurley Burley. Um, yeah, and he also direct. He wrote a play called Sticks and Bones mm. um, that I did um, about three years ago um, at the New Group, which is yeah. an off Broadway. Yeah, and I just recently saw his latest play, Good for Otto, with Amy Madigan and Ed Harris. It was Mark Lynn Baker. It was great. Oh my God! So what? Now you've got you've got kids now, right? Yeah, but we don't talk about them. Oh, we leave them out of it. But you're having a good time. Yeah. Oh, good. And you're you're happy in your life, and everything's cool. Everything's really good. Well, I appreciate you uh, talking to me for a while. Yeah, that was really really a blast. That was intense and exciting. It was great to meet her. She's an awesome kind of personality, full on 
Holly Hunter, exactly as you uh, imagine Holly Hunter to be. I am on the road. I am tired. I, I, I don't know if you can hear that in my voice, but uh, no guitar today. No guitar today. Boomer lives.